Our scripture reading this morning is going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, if you would like to follow along word for word, you can bra- uh, grab the black Bible like this in front of you and look on page 54. We're going to read all 22 verses, so I'm going to get right to it. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to good and broad land, and a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you will and you and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the kingdom of Egypt and say to him the Lord the God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it After that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, for you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Again, um, if you have your black pew Bible, page 54. 
we're excited. We, we finally got our garden planted. It's been raining so much, it's been so wet over here in our garden. It's uh, kind of low, and so we're so thankful. Terry Rose he helped us till it up, and uh, Morgan and I got out there with uh, students, great group of students, and Blake came and helped us plant some of the corn, and we're real excited. Thank for everybody helping with that. We're also, um, tomorrow, we're going to be planting over at Mr. Glenn and Miss Edna's. You've got a uh, a patch there. We're going to plant some watermelon. And some people say, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing all that? I said, man, it's discipleship. It's discipleship, and we're learning how to work and learning how to serve, and we got a great group of kids that want to serve, that want to help, that don't mind sweating and getting dirty. And so um, we're looking forward to being able to harvest some of that. Last year, I know some of you were blessed and uh, able to partake of some of that good food. And um, who knows? Uh, what will happen with these watermelons. We're going to give it a try this year, but we're going to do that tomorrow evening. Exodus chapter 2, we're actually going to look at verses 23 through the end of chapter 3. This is God's great rescue. We started last week. This is um, walking through the book of Exodus. That's what we do here at Beavers. you risen with us. We kind of go through books of the Bible. Pretty much that's our default. We're in the book of Exodus. Uh, beating around the burning bush in the name of God. This is one of five books that Moses wrote. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and it just continues the story. We said last week that in the original language, the book of Exodus starts with the word and. It's just a continuation of the, the history of Israel. And we remind you last week that Genesis means beginnings, and it's the beginnings of creation. Secondly, it's the beginning of sin. As Adam and Eve were created, they were put in the garden, and they rebelled against the Lord. And thirdly, the book of Genesis, the beginnings of a great nation. Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham, gave him promises. He was going to bless him, and he would become a great nation. He would give him land, and those who bless him, he would bless. Those who curse him, he would curse. And through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He had Isaac, and Isaac had twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob was the child of promise. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 boys. His boys became the 12 tribes of, Egypt, of Israel. It's interesting how one of the youngest boys, Joseph, was mistreated so badly they sold him into slavery. Some of you, you have sibling rivalries, but you didn't have anything what Joseph had to endure. He was sold into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, but providentially God allowed him to become ruler of Egypt. And although bad things happened to Joseph, when his brothers came to Egypt to buy grain because of the famine, he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we said that the purpose of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, was, was to remind the Israelites how they became God's people and remind them of who God was. And then specifically the purpose of the book of Exodus, it, it reveals to us the one true God, the one who redeems, who rescues his people so that he might dwell with them. It's interesting in the book of Exodus... Fourteen times we see the line, so you will know I am the Lord. That's one of the purposes of the book. 
so the Israelites, so the Egyptians will know that God, Yahweh, is the Lord. And you think about it, God is going against, up against the false gods in Egypt, and he wants not only the Egyptians, but also the Israelites to know that he is indeed the Lord. And, and last week we put up a few outlines. I'll put that up again, help some of you catch up uh, with this. Here's an outline, the Exodus, the rescue, chapters 1 through 18. Then we're going to have the law once they get to Mount Sinai, chapters 19 through 24, and then the tabernacle when God is once again going to dwell with sinful man. But there's a quick outline for you. And we saw in the first two chapters how this history of Israel continues with Genesis. And um, we, we saw last week, just kind of by way of context, this promise that was given to Abraham began to be fulfilled. You remember the story of Abraham walking out and him doubting God that he would become a great nation and God told him, said, Abraham, look up in the, the sky. Look at all those stars. That's how your children are going to be. They're going to be so numerous. You're going to become a great nation. And we see that to be, begin to come to fulfillment in Egypt as the population explodes and grows exponentially. We see God preserving his people, even though they're oppressed in Egypt, they're enslaved, but yet they continue to thrive in that environment. And then we begin to see God prepare a deliverer through Moses. He, he uses Pharaoh's own family to rescue this Hebrew baby from the Nile River. That baby was put there by his mother. This baby was found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's own household. That's kind of the general context. In the immediate context, when Moses had he'd grown up in Pharaoh's house, he was 40 years old, and he thought God was going to use him to deliver the Israelites from slavery. He also assumed that God's people were ready to be delivered. So he saw an Egyptian taskmaster mistreating an Israelite, he, with his bare hands, killed that man. He hit him in the, in the sand. The next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting. He tried to intervene and, and break up that fight, and, and they told him that, um, what is he going to do? He's going to kill me like you did the, the Egyptian. And he knew that he was found out, that he knew that this murder was widely known, and that at that point in time, Pharaoh did want to take his life, and so he fled to Midian. So you have these Israelites rejecting his help. He flees in fear to Midian. He marries a shepherd's daughter named Zipporah, and he began his family. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2, verse 23. And as we study today, what, two things I want you to do. I want you to notice what, what this text teaches us about God. Because the book of the scriptures, they're not about us. Sometimes we get it we get it wrong. We think wrongly about the scriptures. We think that the, the Bible is about us and it's all about us. No, it's all about God. And so what I want to do as we study this text is, is think about what it's teaching us about God. And we're going to come back to that at the end of the message. And also, let's make a mark, if you would. I think it'll be helpful. The promises of God. What I did is I just had a, a pencil and I just put promise. And every time I see a promise in the text, in the margin, I just put a P out there to remind us this is a promise of God. And let's see if those promises come to fulfillment. But Moses is, is settling down in Midian, having children, raising a family. But back in Egypt, the situation is anything but settled. Let's read chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. So the Pharaoh had died that was out uh, to get 
and capture Moses. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come and study your word. We're thankful today for for being homecoming, and and Lord, all the food we're going to eat. We're thankful for the music, the true songs we've already sang. Lord, I ask that you would help us. You would open up our eyes and ears and, and teach us from your word, and use me your imperfect, selfish, sinful servant to be your messenger today. May we exposit it, may we exegete it, may we understand it clearly, and may we leave here empowered by your Spirit to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Israelites saw their need for rescue and they cry out to the Lord. We have to remember, the Israelites have been in Egypt for four or five generations and they're surrounded by idolatry. Their understanding of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, it wasn't completely developed. Yes, they trusted him to some degree, but they were in a pagan culture. But yet, in their time of need, in their time of suffering, what do they do? They had enough knowledge of God They had enough faith in God. They cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And what did God do? He heard. And that's the first point that that we'll point out to us today. We have three points. One is God's people cry out to him when in need. They say there's no atheist in foxholes. I think there's some truth to that. We worked overseas in a a communist, um, godless area of the world. And it's interesting, when people are in dire straits, it's amazing how quickly they they turn to the Lord. And I have people that I are in contact with, rub elbows with all the time. They don't care anything about the Lord. They don't care anything about teaching of the Bible. They really don't, and they'll tell you that. But you know what? You let their mama that they love so much get sick in, in the ICU unit, or you let their children get diagnosed with cancer, and you know what they do? They call, put us on the prayer list. You know why they do that? Because they know that God, they know God can help them, and they need help, and that's what we should do, isn't it? We're in having troubles, times and hard times with our families, maybe financially. We're having a hard time at work. We need to cry out to the Lord. That's why we're so anxious, right? We're so anxious because we try to carry those loads, and we need to cast our cares on the Lord. As the book of Philippians teach us we need to lift those requests up to the Lord with thanksgiving and allow that peace of God guard our hearts and mind when people see their need they cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears and there's there is a need for that isn't it there's a need for us to see our need uh, and and see our want and see our um, desperate situation. And that's the great thing about the scriptures. Eventually, we're going to get to Exodus chapter 20 where he makes the covenant with Moses, the law. He's going to give Israel the law. But the law, that's what the law does. It shows us our need. When we see our need, we see our sinful condition. We see that we need help. We need to be saved. What do we do? Then we cry out to the Lord in repentance and faith. And we're told to do that in the scriptures. First Peter first, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, the persecuted church, Peter teaches them, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. 
So they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord knew. Of course he knew. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But what is he? Yeah, he, he's taking note of their situation. He's concerned about this situation, and what is he going to do? And that's what we move to next. He is about to act. He's about to give his marching orders to this human deliverer. And it's interesting, the first two chapters that we studied last week cover 400 years of tribulation for the nation of Israel. The next 38 chapters is going to describe one year of liberation for the nation of, of, of Israel. So the first point, when we're in trouble... Those who trust the Lord need to cry out to him for help. And the second point today, we'll see in chapter 3, chapter three verse 1 through 15, that we shouldn't be reluctant to do his work because he promises to go with us. God here commissions his deliverer, Moses, but Moses is reluctant. Verse 1, Moses is keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro, also called Reuel. From chapter 2, it's the same name, same person, just two different names. Just like you have Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. It's, just, it's two names for the same place. But it's, it's no coincidence that he's a shepherd. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, verse 30, Luke tells us that Moses had been a shepherd for Jethro for 40 years. So think about it. When he goes to Midian, he's 40 years old. It's 40 years later. He's been shepherding his father-in-law's flocks, growing his family and it's important that he's learning to shepherd because he's about to become the shepherd of this great nation. It's also no coincidence that he ends up at Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. This is where the nation will return on their way to the promised land. This is the mountain where God's going to meet with his people and give them the law. But Moses is there and he sees something strange. There's a, a bush on fire. But the strange thing about it, it wasn't being consumed. And it, fire in the scriptures, especially the Old Covenant, Old Testament, fire is often a sign of God's presence. We see in Exodus chapter 13, in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 24, also Genesis chapter 15. And what happens is fire naturally consumes wood. Because that isn't taking place, we know that the natural properties of fire are being suspended. Something strange is going on, right? Bushes don't ignite without being scorched. But neither do rivers turn to blood or dust turn to gnats. Or neither does the firstborn in every household die at the same time. See, this is just a preview of what is to come for Moses. It's quite mysterious, but the main point here is God is getting Moses' attention. And notice it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. This angel of the Lord, that's mysterious as well. The angel of the Lord, you think, about, well, yeah, that's the created beings God has made to serve him and to worship him in glory. But the Hebrew word for angel is simply the word messenger. And it's, it's interesting how this angel is identified specifically as the angel of the Lord. So there may be here, maybe more here than meets the eye. And I think what's going on here is that this is God himself. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. 
The messenger did not simply see and speak for God, but as God. And here, it seems like the angel Lord is so, is, is so closely identified with God that the burning bush is, is generally considered a, a theophany, where, which means God just shows up. God's, uh, he, he has this God appearance, this manifestation of his presence, and for a bu- brief moments, this bush was the temple of the Lord, the place of of God's presence here on earth. This angel somehow is manifesting God's own special presence to Moses. We see this also in Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 22, Judges chapter 2, chapter 6, Judges chapter 13. We see this time and time again in the Old Covenant. But God calls to Moses from the bush. He calls him two times, and that's what he does. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Samuel. And he calls him to himself, and as Moses approaches him, then he tells him to stop. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Stop right there. See, Moses isn't able to casually come into the Lord's presence. He must approach the the one true God the way the one true God tells him to approach him. Take off your sandals. We understand that quite well. Matter of fact, you come to my house, we got most of the students trained. They come and they peel off their shoes, right? We lived in Asia, and that's what we did. It's really, it's really helpful. You don't have to vacuum so much. It's real practical. But the, the, the purpose here in these, these old covenant cultures is you didn't take what's outside, inside, in, into the house, into the temple, because it would defile it. So what is he doing? He's telling Moses, approach me reverently. And this is Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, but but don't get confused. It's not a special place. Or it is a special place at this given moment. Why? Because God is there. That's what makes it special. Because God's presence is there. How does a wicked sinner approach a holy God? I mean, that's a big problem. That's a problem for us, isn't it? That's a problem for all of us. And specifically for those who are yet to to place their faith in God. That's a big problem for you. How do you as a sinner approach the Lord? You don't. You can't. We aren't free to enter God's presence on our terms. And we'll see throughout the book of Exodus, we'll see this struggle as we continue to study. And so Moses hid his face because he was afraid. God was there. And Moses wasn't supposed to be there because he's a sinner. I mean, the word holy means separation, right? This place is holy. And in verse 6, God reminds Moses who he is. He cries out to Moses, Moses says, here I am. And God tells him who he was. He's the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. This wasn't something new. He's the the God of Moses' forefathers. And in verse 7 through 9, God tells Moses what he is going to do. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I know. I see it, and I'm about to do something about it. 
I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. This is the promise. If I were you, if you're going to keep notes, I would put a P right there in the, in the margin. This is a promise from the Lord. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And so you can just imagine as Moses is there with his sandals off, afraid to look at the Lord, he's hearing God speak. And I can just imagine Moses at this point in time getting really kind of excited. Because think about it. Forty years ago, God's saying he's going to do something that Moses wanted to see happen 40 years ago. You remember he took matters in his own hand and he killed the Egyptian because he's, he's mistreating the Hebrew? Moses wanted to do something then about this oppression. Forty years later, God says he's going to do something about it. Peter ends he, in his commentary. He says, you would think Moses would be excited and skip all the way from Mount Horeb to Egypt with the good news that God is finally going to do something about their bondage. But in verse 10, Moses' excitement never fully developed because God dropped a bombshell on him. Look at verse 10. So you can imagine him just getting excited. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Could you imagine that, that hard swallow? Like, ooh, what? Uh, he's getting excited. All of a sudden, he's, you know, he turns white and his jaw drops. God's been preparing this servant for 40 years. He took matters in his own hands and he struck the Egyptian and he wanted to do something about it. And now 40 years later, God is saying he's going to send him to do the very thing he wanted to do years before. But he's just not feeling it, is he? I mean, here's Moses' commission. He's going to be the human element to, to the, the rescue of the Hebrews. It's interesting how God does the redeeming. He does the rescuing. He does the saving. But God uses people to do it. I mean, think about so far in the story. He used Moses' mother. God had used Pharaoh's daughter and, and Moses' sister. And now God has prepared Moses and wants to use him. Philip Ryken, he writes, the sovereignty of God's grace does not make our ministry unnecessary. It makes it mandatory. The work of salvation is God's work from beginning to end. We agree with that, don't we? Yeah, God's work, salvation is all God's work. Nevertheless, God uses us as he used Moses to accomplish his saving purpose. God's going to do the work. He's going to do saving, but he's going to use, he's going to allow Moses to be a, a part of it. Look at verse 11. Notice Moses' response. He has two responses. Number one, who am I? You're going to use me? Who am I? Of all people. I mean, think about it. When he tried to intervene 40 years prior, what did the Israelites say? Who made you ruler and judge over us? That's what he was told. And 40 years later, Moses hadn't forgotten that. Still fresh on his mind. Why should the Israelites listen to me? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have me go to the Israelites and tell them this is what you're about to do? They're not going to listen to me. 
On top of that, if you haven't forgotten, the last time Moses was in Egypt, he was on, he was on the 10 most wanted list, right? And now God's saying, now you're going to go back. And even though the, the Pharaoh that he knew had died, but he's going to have to go back and you're going to tell the Israelites what I'm going to do and then you're going to go to Pharaoh and I'm going to use you to deliver the Israelites out of his hand. Moses had doubts, didn't he? And at this point, you think about how God used those 40 years just to humble him. And, and the scripture is going to tell us later on how meek Moses was. God's been preparing him just for this moment. And notice in verse 12, God didn't, God, God didn't respond to Moses this way. Hey, hey, buddy. No, you just don't know how good you are. You think about that education you received in Pharaoh's house. Just think about your physical abilities. How you, you remember how you just took down that Egyptian in one fell swoop? He doesn't do that, does he? No, you're okay. You're, gonna, you're, you're good enough. You've got it. You got this. He didn't say that. Look at verse 12. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be as a sign for you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The sign is they're going to be there. Yeah, I'm telling you, you're going to deliver. The, it won't be long. That, the whole nation is going to be right here worshiping me. We'll come back to that in just a second. When Moses is reluctant because his eyes are on himself, what does God do? God says, how do we know this plan is going to work? God says, not you got it. I got it. I'm going to be with you. It really doesn't matter about who we are as long as we have God with us, right? I mean, think about, think about other examples in Scripture. David. We studied David several years ago, First and Second Samuel. David was a wonderful king. A flawed king, but a wonderful king. Incredible warrior. Military leader. He never lost. Why? Why was he so good at it? Is it because he, he was good with a sling? No, because of God. He had God on his side, and God was with him. Think about Gideon. Gideon, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the run of the worst tribe you got. But why was Gideon successful at leading the Israelites out of the hand of the Midianites? Because God was with them. God never mentions Moses' abilities. He just says, I'm going to be with you. A little bit closer contact, what about Joseph? Joseph came to Egypt. He ended up being leader, ruler of Egypt. As a result, the nation of Egypt became the most prosperous in the world. Was it because he was good at interpreting dreams and he just had incredible administrative skills? No, it was because of God. God was with him. God's saying, I'll do the rescuing, but he's going to use Moses, who is humble and reluctant, to bring that about. And we have to be real, real careful because our default mode is saying, we got this. I got it. I'm okay. Pull myself up by the bootstraps. I can do it. I can grit my teeth and get her done. That's kind of our default mode. No, God's going to do the work. He delivers 
He will deliver his people by his power. It's not about what we can do. Christianity is not a self-help religion. Christianity is a God-help religion. God's going to do the work. But God delights in using his people to bring about his purposes. God delights in using his servants. God doesn't need Moses, but he chooses to use this sinful man. God says, you go and I'll save. You go and I'll save. Applicable to us, isn't it? You go and I'll save. And this sign, this sign is kind of unusual. You'd think he would give a sign then because Moses is, who am I? Who am I? We kind of picture God doing something. We've got the burning bush. Next week we'll see him turning a, 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 a staff into a snake and Moses' hand becoming leprous and then being well again. So he's going to give them some immediate signs in chapter 4. But it's interesting. He says, this sign's going to become after you obey me. That's kind of different. A lot of times signs, they're given to, to motivate us and stimulate our faith. So, so we'll obey. But they're also given in response to faith. Think about application for us with, with that point. Some of you, maybe you feel your face a little anemic. Maybe you're praying and you can't hear the Lord. And, and, and Lord's sovereign over that, isn't he? There's time the Lord pours out more grace than others. There's sometimes we just experience the, the, the pleasure of God more than others. But some of us, maybe we're wondering why the Lord seems so distant. Maybe we should ask, maybe we need to obey what we already know. Maybe the Lord will be, seem nearer to us. Just something to think about. But this is a, a promise in verse 12. You put a P in the margin if you're taking notes. Here's a promise. They'll serve God on that mountain in the not-too-distant future. And then the other response, first response, who, who am I? You're going to send me? The second response is, who are you? I mean, if he's going to go and tell these Israelites who have rejected him already that, that their God has sent him, he need, he don't make sure they understand who, is, who their God is. I mean, Moses needs a little credibility here. I mean, after all, he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He grew up as an Egyptian. The Israelites probably already knew God's name, this divine name that he's going he's to teach Moses, but they wanted to know if Moses knew it or not. Moses doubted the Israelites would listen to him. And look at verse 14. God answers Moses by saying, I am who I am. You want to know who's sending you, tell them I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. That's an interesting name, isn't it? And if we said, hey, what are some names of God? We would say many names, right? He's the counselor. He's a shepherd. He's a creator. But we maybe we wouldn't say I am so quickly because it's so enigmatic. I mean, what does it mean when that he's I am? And we've already seen the Lord's name in Genesis and Exodus, the name Yahweh. 
It, in English, it's Lord. It's all capital letters. And it seems like this, this name, I am, may be interchangeable. Look at 14 and 15. He said, I am. I am has sent me to you. And then 15, look, it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, and that's the Yahweh, right? His divine name. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So it seems like these are interchangeable. And some people say, these are two different names. And that's, you could have that argument. I would listen to it. But it seems like they're used interchangeably. This Yahweh and I am seem together. But what does I am mean? Maybe an illustration might, might help to some degree, but, but again, this is pretty, pretty enigmatic, but I think it's important. You talk to your children, you talk to kids about creation. And you say, you know, God's used his very own words to create everything. He created everything out of nothing. So God created everything. And what do kids, th what do they then say? What question do they ask? Well, who created God? Good question. Who created God and what do you say? How would you answer that? Well, no one. I mean, God has always existed. He was and he is. He forever will be. He is eternal. He just is. That's what it means. I am. He just is. He is complete. You got a subject, you got a verb, and God is both. I am. Yeah, he just, he's complete. There's a Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink. He, he says this, God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is. Who is God? God is who he is, and that's all there is to it. I am. He is unchangeable. God's not the I was who I was or the I will be who I will be. No, he is the I am. He's self-existent. Matthew Henry, he writes, the greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says, I am that I am. All things depend on God, but God depends on what? Nothing. Yeah, he is self-existent. He is the great I am. Third point, God is a promise keeper. We should trust him. Verse 16 through 22. God tells Moses to tell the elders of Israel that, that God is sending Moses to them. And he's coming there to deliver them. And Moses will deliver this message and they will listen to Moses. That's what God tells them. No, they're going to listen to you. Verse 17, you could put a P in there. That's a promise. And God's going to give them the promised land. That's a promise. And you're going to tell Pharaoh, we want three days off from work. We get a three-day vacation, paid. We're going to go in the wilderness and we're going to worship. And then God says, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. 
in verse 20 through 22, but I, the great I am, will persuade him with judgments. Pharaoh's not going to let you go. Eventually he will. You know why? Because I'm going to judge him. And not only am I going to judge him, I'm going to put him in a full Nelson, and he's going to cry uncle. He's going to pat the mat, right? He's going to give. And not only that, when you leave there, you're going to plunder the place. They're not going to say, yeah, you can go. They're going to say, please go. We're going to pay you. Take whatever you want and get out of town. Put a P in the margin. See if that happens. Jesus keeps his promises. The Lord keeps his promises. He's going to deliver the Israelites. He'll keep his promise to Abraham. Through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. I am the great I am. John chapter 8. Turn there real quickly as we close. John chapter 8. Let's flip over the New Testament. Go right. John chapter 8. Jesus, 1,500 years later, is talking to some Jews about slavery, but not the physical slavery, Paul. This is the spiritual slavery. They were a slave to sin. Man, they get their, ruffled, their, their feathers all ruffled up. John chapter 8, verse 56 through 58. Jesus is talking to them. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And we don't have time to look at it, but there's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus quoted. These Jews, they're not able to redeem themselves. They were under the curse of the law because of their sin. Earlier in this chapter, verse 36 of John chapter 8, Jesus tells them, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And they needed to be freed from their sin. And you know what? Only Jesus can set them free. Yahweh, the great I am, he's the only one that can set those Hebrew slaves free from the hand of Pharaoh. And he did. Think about... Think about our need for a savior just as Moses he had to he had to he had to stop there's a barrier he had to stop take off his sandals because he couldn't approach God we have the same problem we're sinners separated from the Lord because of our sin he's holy separation and we're not that's a problem but Jesus he came and he walked this earth and he, he's holy. He walked the earth as a holy person, never sinning, completely obeying the law of God. He went to a cross, not because he had to, because he wanted to please the Father. And he died on the cross, taking the punishment for man's sin. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. The Bible says so we could be justified. 
so we could be made holy and right before God. Who's the, who's the great I am of Exodus chapter 3? Jesus. Who speaks, who speaks to Moses? The great I am. Application is pretty easy, isn't it? We're separated from the Lord. We don't need to be. We don't have to be. God has heard, the, he hears the cries of his people. You ever cried out to the Lord? You say, well, I'm not real sure if I'm separated from the Lord or not. Let me ask you, you ever cried out to the Lord in desperation? If you've never cried out to the Lord in desperation, you're separated from him. Have you ever cried out to the Lord in repentance and faith, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong, I've done wrong, I've been wrong, and I need to be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for me. I need forgiveness. I need to be saved. I need to be redeemed. I need to be rescued from my sin. Rescue me, Lord. Save me. Not because I deserve it, but because you're good. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever done that? Have you, have you done that? If not, you need to do that now. You need to do that today. That's our application. Point number one. Repent and believe. The great I am wants you to know them. And you can't know them and approach them unless you come through Christ. Told you when we started, think about who God is. And part of application is what we should do, but sometimes it's real helpful. Application can also, also be what should we know. So what should we know about God from this text? Well, first, he's holy. Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. Well, he's holy. He's compassionate. He hears, Macy, he hears the cries of the Hebrews in Egypt, and he said he knew he has compassion. Yes, he's gonna, he remembers his covenant with Abraham and, and the patriarchs, but, but God's deliverance of his people is also based on his compassion for them in the midst of their affliction. He's compassionate. He's also imminent. He says, I've come down. I'm coming down, and I'm going to deliver them. He's taking a personal interest in the Israelites. You could also say he's incomprehensible. He's the great I am. What's that all about? Hmm, a little enigmatic, but it's wonderful. <laughs> we don't completely get it, but it's so wonderful. It's so good. It's a, it's a good mystery. He's just so other. But that other is all good. Application point number two. What do we know about the Lord? And then thirdly, we, we, we mentioned this before. I want to reiterate it. Are we, are we, we, are we in a place where the Lord seems distant? 
you know, he gave this sign, but it was after Moses was obedient and went and did what God wanted him to do. Maybe, maybe the Lord is distant. You're a believer. You're redeemed. You've been rescued. You've been born again. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you've been living like doing your own thing. You kind of like living your own life. You don't surrender to the Lord. You don't yield the Lord. You don't confess your sin here lately. You're not keeping short accounts. The Lord is kind of like distant. And maybe you're like, I don't want the Lord to feel distant. I don't want to feel like I, my prayers aren't getting through the ceiling. Maybe, I'm not saying it is, but maybe it's because you're, you need to obey. You need to repent of whatever it is you're doing. You need to obey the Lord. And lastly, church, let's not be hesitant. Moses was hesitant to do what the Lord would have him to do. We've been given his word, his will. This is what we need to do. Let's not be hesitant because when we're hesitant, it, it, it has to be because our eyes are on ourselves. And we struggle with that, don't we? Well, I know I need to share the gospel. I know I need to do this. I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that, but I'm just hesitant because my I'm, eyes are on myself. But the Lord tells us just like he tells Moses, no, I'll be with you. Never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you. Jesus, when he was born, his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And he died and he was buried and he rose. And when he ascended into heaven, you remember we told the apostles, go to Jerusalem, stay there until the helper comes. Who's the helper? The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit and God says, I'm with you. Obey me, I'm with you. Take your eyes off yourself and put them on me. And let's, let's obey. Great text. A lot to apply. If you've got a question about the notes, if I said anything, I know last week, last week we, didn't, we, we had a full service. Boy, it was full, wasn't it? it was just, we had so much going on. And I had about two hours worth of sermon. So here you just talk too fast. If you need notes, tell me. I'll send you my manuscript. Your small group leader can help you with that as well. But great study. I want to encourage you, keep reading ahead. And we're going to read. In, I know we read a lot. It's like we're in church. We ought to read the Bible a little bit, right? And we might not always read all the text that we're going to teach, but we're going to read most of it. So read ahead. I think that will help you some. Bring a notebook. Take notes because one day you might want to teach the book of Exodus to somebody. But it's a great study. I'm real excited. But we need to apply what we're learning, church. If we just hear and we leave and we don't apply it, that's why we have small groups. That's why you think, why in small group? Why do you like go? Why do you study the same text that you're preaching through? Like we ought to be learning something different. Well, think about this. If you study every day, you're learning something new every day. Sunday morning here preaching. Um, uh, Wednesday night we have Bible study. You know, you're listening to podcast sermons. We got a lot we're learning. But we're trying to do is just slow ourselves down and make sure we apply what we're learning. So small group leaders every week ought to be, hey, how did we apply this? How else can we apply this? We need to apply. We need to live it out. Okay? Glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. If, if you would, stay and eat. You got to eat. You might as well eat with us. You got fried chicken, ham, chicken and dressing. I mean, this is all kind of good stuff. Stay and eat with us, okay? What are we going to do right now? I'm going to give thanks, and we're going to go over. We're going to allow our visitors. So somebody over there, get on, get over there and, and help us out with that. Uh, make sure our visitors, our older folks, they get to eat first, 
and then church family, you come second. Let's eat and to spend time getting to know one another, okay? We want to encourage you, if you're visiting with us, stay and eat with us. This is homecoming. Um, we're going to have a good time today. Anybody else? Anything? Anything, Chris? Anything we need to add? Okay. Uh, we got a great week planned Wednesday night. we got midweek Bible study, something for everybody. Tomorrow night, uh, we're going to spend, students, we're going to spend time together, plant some watermelons, eat. Morgan's cooking steak. Um, we're going to have a great time. I think we've got, um, where's Grayson? Where's he? Where's she at, Grayson? Yeah, Grayson's going to state, right? Yeah, when you leaving? Tomorrow. Yeah, Mr. Jerry, he's driving a, driving a cheese, taking y'all to Murfreesboro. They're in the state tournament this week, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, so we look forward to hearing how things go. Okay, we're excited for you. That's a sweet, special time. Not everybody gets that uh, opportunity, so... All right, well, let's pray. We're going to give thanks for the food, and then we'll make our way over uh, adults. Now, I don't want to go over and see some little knothead kids up there in front of the line. You get in the back. Let the visitors and, and, and our adults go first. Your kids just get in the back. That's why they did it in my granddaddy's house. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, we're thankful for your word, and we need it. Father, we need it. Oh, it's so good. Father, we need to learn it, but we also need to apply it. Lord, you help us this week. Father, those that are here that have yet to cry out to Jesus in faith and repentance, we just pray for you just draw them by your Holy Spirit. Father, open their eyes and ears to see how good you are and how wicked they are. Father, may you grant the sinner repentance today. Father, for your church, Lord, help us not to put our eyes on ourselves and our inadequacies our inabilities, Father, help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us obey so we can sense your presence and your power in our lives. Father, help your church be the church. Help us be salt and light this week. Father, as we go and eat, we just thank for the food. Father, we know all over the world they're hungry people, and we have so much. We're so thankful, so thankful for the families that have cooked and labored and sacrificed so that we could all eat together. Lord, may even as we eat, may we be thankful for all that you've given us. Father, for the visitors, may you bless them, Lord. Lord, that those that stay, may they feel loved. And Lord, that those that have to leave, Lord, may they be blessed because of the truth they sang and the truth they heard. Father, for Niku and Lydia, is there in Romania? We're just so thankful for their faithfulness. Niku's an expositor. He preaches the word. Thankful for those that are newly saved in his church. Thankful that they've been obedient in baptism. Father, may you bless that ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.